up to page 420. So what we've been talking about is the different ideas in terms of how the, the uh, prophets, how they describe the nature of how they relate to the glory of God and how these different elements, different aspects about the glory of God means, and they use these sort of um, reference points or like pictures in their mind that are really a way for them to discuss some sort of manifestation of God's presence in this world. The Kuzari said on page 420, number four, the Kuzari said, but when God's divinity, unity, ability, and wisdom enter a person's mind, and one realizes that everything is from him and that everything depends upon him and that he requires nothing, this alone will inspire the individual to fear and love God. Why then are these anthropomorphisms of God necessary? Right? In other words, it, it, what he's trying to say, as I believe, is that in an ideal situation, in an ideal world, we are able to come to a recognition, a deep, deep recognition and understanding of everything that God does for us in a purely like abstract, purely just thinking about God and thinking about the force that is God without having to make like this picture in our minds of different elements of a chariot or some other things that are going to represent God, which are only really a stand-in. It's not real, right? The reality is it's only an abstract thing. So why do you need the anthropomorphism in the first place? The rabbi said, this is what the philosophers argue. However, we know from studying man's soul that he will experience greater fear from seeing a frightening physical object than from just hearing about it. Similarly, he will feel a greater attraction from seeing someone beautiful in a picture than from just hearing about the person. In other words, the fact of the matter is that the, the way that we are created, the way that we have been created and, and with, a, with a specific format by Hashem is the way that we have to, or not have to, but it is a fact that we are able to appreciate things that are tangible far more than we're able to appreciate things that are purely abstract. Do not believe the philosopher who claims that his thoughts are properly attuned to the order of things to the point where he comprehends all the essential aspects of godliness using his intellect alone without the need for physical representations. And then all he needs to see are certain words, writings, or pictures of real or imaginary scenes. See for yourself how you are unable to express the full extent of your prayers and your thoughts alone without expressing them verbally. Similarly, you cannot count to 100, for example, in your thoughts without counting out loud. It would be even more difficult if you had to reach 100 by adding together arbitrary numbers. In other words, the reality is it is true that the only thing that is real about life the only thing that is really in existence is our mind. The fact of the matter is that the way that the mind works is it works through stimuli. It works through sensory information that is coming in through the real world. And when that happens, then we're able to develop a greater sense of, of the mind can develop something greater. But it can't do it in a purely abstract way. It has to have stimuli as well. Without a physical manifestation to effectively represent all the necessary aspects of the divine order, these ideas cannot penetrate into the intellect. Thus, a prophet systematically ascertains God's greatness, ability, compassion, wisdom, very existence, perpetuity, and kinship, that he needs nothing but all needs him, his unity and his holiness. He perceives all of this by envisioning in one instant a lofty image created for him in all its splendor and beauty. He sees in the vision all the qualities and instruments which indicate God's ability, such as an outstretched arm, a drawn sword, fire, wind, lightning, thunder, and so on things that obey God's commands. The prophet then hears God's voice emanating from these images to command them or to inform them of past or future 
events. Okay? So this is just a means to help us develop a greater sense of reality. But that is the way that God created the world, and that is the system that is at play. So you can't just say, I'm going to bypass the system. That's not realistic. He sees an assemblage of people and angels humbling themselves before God. And he sees God providing them with their every need without omitting a thing. He sees God raising up the lowly and lowering the lofty. He sees God extend his hand to the penitent and call out to them. Whoever recognizes his need for repentance should do so and God will forgive him. In other words, should repent. He sees God becoming angry with the wicked and removing kings and appointing kings. And that before him are a thousand thousands ministering to him and so forth. All these images and those like them are things that the prophet sees instantaneously so that fear and love of God become ensconced in his soul for the rest of his life. So remember, there's something completely unique about the nature of how we see things when we are prophesizing. It is the abstract part of ourselves. It is the co-academia, like you said, the imaginative faculties. But typically imaginative faculties are constrained by ration. I should, rational thought, I should say. And the reason why that is, is because our rational thought dictates that our imaginative faculties are thinking about something that's not real, doesn't exist, right? And rational thought says what's real and what exists is something that we can picture, something that we can actually perceive. When you are a prophet, you are able to witness things in your imaginative mind without being constrained by the rational side of who we are and what we are. That being said, there is still this sense of the more that we can appreciate it, the more that we can relate to that imaginative side of ourselves, the more that we can relate to that, then the more that we can actually appreciate that on the in the abstract side as well. So therefore, it has to be some sort of a picture in their mind. And when they have a picture in their mind, then it becomes real, even more real. That being said, the real reality, once again, is actually in the abstract thought alone. The prophet then continues for the rest of his life, longing, yearning, and seeking the vision a second or third time. Even for King Shlomo, Solomon, it was considered a great thing for him to have had a vision twice, as it says God who appeared to him twice. When did a philosopher ever achieve anything like this in his thoughts? Because I already said that cannot happen, for thought is like conversation. It is sequential. Two things cannot be conveyed simultaneously. Even if it were possible to say two things simultaneously, the listener would be unable to process the two together. On the other hand, the thing that the eyes, the things that the eye sees in one short while about a country and its people cannot be contained even in a huge book. Furthermore, my love or hate for the country enters my heart immediately upon seeing it. Whereas if they were to read about the country to me from a book, the strong emotions would not enter into my heart. Moreover, one's thoughts become corrupted from errors in logic, false comparisons, and preconceived notions. Thus, one's thoughts never receive any completely pure or whole idea. Right, so our thoughts are, are very easily manipulated, right? But and we don't we don't get to think multiple things all at once, right? They, if you're listening to someone having a conversation with you, right, and you have four people talking to you all at the same time, you can't process all four things. Right? It's not possible. When people prophesize, when a prophet is prophesizing, they're able to be able to comprehend multiple things all at once. Now, the only reason why they're able to do that is because a vision of something is a way in which you actually can comprehend multiple things all at once. Whereas listening using your auditory skills as opposed to your visual skills, we actually can't process more than one thing at once. At least not more than one thing at once well, I should say. So this, the reason why there has to be this anthropomorphism, it's, it's not a crutch per se, but it is a method to enable it to A, 
become very much inculcated, to be completely part of who you are, right? That's number one. And number two, to allow for understanding and recognizing more than one thing at the same time, which is not something that we're capable of when it's just an auditory um, you know, transaction, an auditory uh, revelation. Okay, we're going to stop over here.